Welcome to this episode of Solo Wake Up. My name is Jan Brandt, the host of this podcast. Uh, today is a returning guest. I have Gabe Phillips. We're going to talk about his new venture. He joined us a few years ago at the Solo Wake Up Live event in Jersey City. And we've been talking about power markets for the better part of a decade. Uh, welcome back to the show, Gabe. Thank you, Jan. Good to be back. So you've got a new venture, Catalyst Power. Before I butcher the description of it, why don't you uh, give the listeners a little bit of a background of of what Catalyst is uh, meant to do and uh, kind of the process that led you to focusing on this uh, on this problem. Sure. Um, so C- Catalyst Power uh, is in its nascent stage today. Um, uh, and when it's fully developed, uh, will be a, uh, a vertically integrated supplier of energy in deregulated markets, combining retail power supply with distributed generation and other value additive products and services um, that can be delivered to customers using the commodity contract as a conduit. Uh, it'll be focused on uh, middle market commercial end users and light industrial end users versus residential or large commercial and, uh, and industrial. Uh, they call that CNI. Um, you know, we want to democratize access to products that have long been available uh, to the much larger and um, well, more well connected end users out there. Um, uh, you know, down market to folks who have good credit, they're closely held or privately held businesses that are a little bit more complicated to underwrite, uh, take more time, effort, and, uh, and expense to develop projects and, and services for them. Uh, and we want to uh, make it more available, cheaper to deliver on, and do this uh, in small ticket sizes and at scale. Great. Um, so you said a lot of things that I don't understand. Um, and. You- and, uh, you know, but let, let's unpack that when, you know, the, the services that you're trying to provide and distribute generation to sort of these middle market, these, these private CNI customers, right? This is uh, the gold mine of the solar industry, you know, something like 50% of energy consumption, but less than 10% of the solar market. Um, you know, what, what, what products are you trying to get, you know, give them in terms of actual generation and what does that mean for them in terms of having this access that you said that they haven't been able to get when it comes to the power markets? Um, these are customers, again, who are there, um, I can more easily describe them uh, in terms of like what they aren't, uh, you know, than, than what they are because it's a wide breadth of, of, uh, of corporate end user that can fit into the box that I'm, that I'm talking about. So they're not going to be entities that have, you know, rated balance sheets or publicly traded equities or, uh, you know, or credits that are easy to underwrite from that perspective. They're not going to be residential consumers where, you know, all you, you use is a FICO score to get comfortable with their credit. Uh, and we're not going to require personal guarantees from, you know, the individuals behind the companies, to, you know, again, just underwriting on a FICO score. So these are going to be entities who we have to get data on from them. Um, it's usually non-core to their day-to-day life. They're running a business, doing whatever it is that they do, uh, and they need some sort of incentive to be able to dedicate the time and effort to giving you underwriting information, and not just on their credit, but on their physical premises to, to make sure that you know, a, a piece of equipment will work there. There's a lot of things that we have to, uh, that we have to gather up and understand about them. Um, as a, a licensed retail energy provider, we have access to a bunch of that information um, immediately with their account number and their permission to access it. I'm not talking about reaching into their like online portal for their account, the utility and seeing their passwords and credit card numbers or anything like that. 
just via EDI from the incumbent utility where they sit, we can access their 12 or 24 months uh, usage history. And in some cases, uh, they're actually their, their, uh, their payment history. So we can already get a, a jump start on, on the credit underwriting right then and there and the, the sizing of the asset that we might want to offer them. And then the rest, which will be difficult and annoying for them to go capture, which has been the rub for the DG world forever for this customer segment, we can offer a financial incentive in terms of a cheap electricity contract from our retail energy provider business. And every time they come to our portal to upload another document, another QuickBooks file, uh, another as-built drawing, another roof warranty, whatever it might be, um, that price can get refreshed for them, that incentive rate. We can immediately calculate their savings over a 12-month period on our e-commerce platform, which is under development now, um, and dangle the carrot uh, over and over and over again until they're finished delivering all, all of what we need to underwrite a project. Once it's delivered, they can click activate and become a customer of our retail business right away. Then they're a customer. So that already has lots of terminal value associated with it, you know, that I can bake into offsetting my underwriting costs for these smaller ticket, more difficult projects to underwrite. Uh, and at that point, I've not really yet had a salesman call this customer, right? I've given them a tailored digital experience where we can understand their priorities and tell them what ours are and how we can deliver on some of theirs through various solutions like DG resources. Um, and then by the time they've gone through the process, they get an actionable PPA in their inbox and an associated retail energy contract for the, the balance of their needs. Only at that point are we actually reaching out to try to close a contract with them. I mean, all throughout they can access my team to answer questions that that's necessary. We have to give that good customer experience and demystify some of this complicated stuff for customers. But again, th these are, People who are smart, they run their own businesses. They already buy things online pretty much 99% of the time. They can't buy their energy online for no good reason. Um, and they can't get access to DG solutions like solar or gas-fired reciprocating engines or a battery online either. They have to have a sales guy show up at their door. Um, and there's just no reason for that any longer. So Right. Yeah, I mean, in, in many ways, you're, you're – you're, you're, focus here using complex and you know co complexities you're you're making the sales approach you're, you're making the sales process for cni solar and you know other generation a, a lot more mutually beneficial both for the customer and uh from a solar development standpoint and, and that's where a lot of solar developers have struggled is you show up and say do you want solar on your on your roof Give me three years financials, two years energy production. Uh, you know, what does your next energy contract look like? And you're because you're coming at it from a, a retail perspective, you're enabling some upside to your development process, and but also leveraging the fact that you have access to better information faster. Is that sort of a, a good rephrasing? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's other components to it because you know, like. We have to have something to offer to the, many of the customers who won't fit into the perfect box that's required to underwrite a physical project from a credit perspective and a, you know, do they own their site or do they lease it? And how long is the lease? Like there's a lot of steps in the journey where they might not be able to qualify for what we, what we can offer them today that pencils economically. So there's a whole list of other products that retailers could offer to smaller CNI customers. They just don't. Uh, they only offer it to the very large and well-connected, like the Amazons out there, who are doing these corporate PPAs with you know individual assets that they can point to. Um, but I plan to offer slices of those assets 
to smaller corporate end users because everybody wants that, both the asset owner and the customer. No one's just really bothering to, to, to give them an, like a, an avenue to, to access that. So again, it's just the, the, the core concept of democratizing access to smaller corporate entities is going to show up in each of the products that we offer. And I should note at least that, the, that we have four priorities at Catalyst. And the selectively engaged energy consumer who does a little bit of analysis on their energy bills every year, maybe uses a broker, has looked at solar once or twice, that's who we're going after. That's who I think there is a large proportion of those closely held corporates that, that would characterize themselves as selectively engaged. They're going to care about one or, or all of these four things that I can deliver on also. And we'll find it out, you know, when they arrive at our site and through their digital experience. But, you know, number one priority for me is positive environmental impact. Next is, you know, showing a customer immediate savings. So day one savings, some modicum of the next priority, some modicum of long, you know, long-term budget certainty from, a, you know, a PPA or a longer term retail contract. That's a slice of a corporate PPA or something like that. Um, and then grid resiliency, which day one, unless I can get batteries to work more economically with solar in these markets, uh, I won't be able to do with solar, but I will be able to do with gas-fired reciprocating engines and, and other pieces of equipment I could put on site today. Right. So, you know, in, in terms of solving the, 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 the credit component, right, um, which is an elusive standardized standardization, right? There is no FICO score for privately held businesses that have financials in QuickBooks or aren't reviewed. Um, what, what is your, your thesis on how you will be able to scale the, the credit component for DG Solar at that level? Um, a couple of ways, right? First is the top of the funnel here is very wide, right? Like very, very, very wide. So a lot of folks who come into the top of the funnel who cannot deliver the basic documentation that we need here, we can still offer them something. It's just not going to be a heavily credit dependent product. Right. It's going to be a retail contract that's three years in maximum duration or a corporate PPA if that's you know three years or four years or something like that. We're not going to take tail credit risk to folks who can't deliver the basic information that we need. Then for everyone else, we have a scoring system. It's proprietary. We've been working on it for the last year and a half. I borrowed a lot of the concepts from commercial banking where these individual corporate credits are being underwritten for five and seven year tenor notes with regularity, right? Like the banking industry does this and has been doing it forever. So borrowing those concepts, it's not like crazy to, you know, to come up with a, you know, a 20 year credit risk uh, model or a 10 year credit risk model, depending on the length of the PPA. Now, the, I think about it in two different ways. Like there's the upfront credit underwriting, you know, health of the business today and, you know, modest term five years out projection of the, of the continued health of that business. But then there's how do I monitor and manage that risk for a 20 year tail risk that I'm taking? That's a different equation. There are different tools that we have to do that. Uh, but the, you know, the, the upfront underwriting process is gonna be very similar to a commercial bank. Uh, we have a scoring process. If they have audited financial statements, it's a better score than if they're only sending me QuickBooks files. Uh, if they can give me a performa that's three statement and gap compliant, it's a better score than if they just sent me their revenue projection and sales forecast in Excel. So we're, we're going to just work our way down the list of all the same things that you would see a commercial bank looking for. Uh, we're going to put it all out there digitally. Customers will have a secure place to upload and receive information from us. We'll get feedback along the way at each step from my team that can do this at, you know, digitally and at their leisure, like overnight, whatever, like we're, we'll staff it accordingly. And, uh, you know, 
ultimately when there was a full package for us to underwrite, then we'll actually take, go to do the heavy lift and do the underwriting until there's a full package available. And the customer has, the prospect has become a customer. They activated that incentive rate. It only then are we going to start underwriting their credit and their project. So, you know, you've, you've, you've raised some money against the strategy. So you've, you've crossed, uh, you know, a big hurdle in, in terms of the process. Um, but you know, your, your advantage in this, in this market compared to some other solar companies is you come at it from a power markets perspective and you're focused on, on markets that, you know, obviously, uh, actively, you know, you're not going into rate based utility territory, like Florida or anything like that. Um, and then you mentioned at the top that you're going to give these customers access to some of the benefits that the, the, the power markets offer. You know, let's dig into, into some of that. You know, what, what edge does Catalyst have given your, your power markets, you know, sort of trading background? And, you know, are there new revenue opportunities that you'll be able to generate uh, for this market given how you've set up the entity? The, 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 the key is having the DG and the REP businesses, the retail energy provider businesses on the same income statement, not having any separation there is key because uh, there are benefits that you can create for the retail energy contract cost structure by installing a piece of equipment at a customer's site that peaks with peak demand, whether it's naturally like solar uh, or via dispatch, like a gas reciprocating engine, if I can change the customer's load factor, that's the relationship between their peak demand and their average demand, then whatever I am serving as a, as a retail energy provider, the, the consumption that's not produced by my piece of equipment on site, I can do that at a price that's cheaper than any other retailer would ever be able to do. And I can do it with confidence because I own the piece of equipment that's changed the load factor. I'm in charge of fixing broken panels and new inverters. I'm in charge of making sure that that gas engine gets a top end overhaul at the appropriate time frame so that it operates when I expect it to. A retail energy provider that doesn't own the equipment, didn't develop it and is not in charge of, of making sure it keeps working. How could they ever get comfortable that they're not going to get, um, they're not going to have their cost structure drastically change if one day the customer who owns that or the third party who owns that just stops caring and doesn't fix it and it doesn't perform the way it, it was anticipated. I had this experience um, in my last business as an advisor to CNI, um, to a particular CNI developer who uh, was trying to develop a, a, a fairly sizable solar asset, three megawatts, uh, at a university in uh, in Western PJM. I'm just going to keep it vague here, uh, and um, the, the the university's load contract with this retail supplier was up within six months, and the Ohio sorry it was in Ohio the Ohio SREC market was at a price that made the, the, the projects not pencil. So you know, we said, okay, let's, let's look at what the, the cost of goods changes on the balance of this customer's load after this three megawatt solar array was installed and see if we can get the customer to partially subsidize the SREC contract that they need to make the solar pencil. And we'll bid that out and say, hey, everybody in the retail world, buy these SRECs for this price because it's what we need to make the solar project work. Build whatever excess cost you view in that into the retail cost of goods on the balance of their load contract. And because it'll be so much cheaper to serve because we've changed the load shape and load factor, the customer won't experience any net change in price on its retail contract. Lo and behold, not a single retailer was willing to bet that the array was gonna perform as intended 
and that it would be continued to, to maintain that way over the, the tenor of the contract because they didn't own it. And it just dawned on me at that moment that if, if you can't own the piece of equipment, then you can't expect it to operate as, as you need so that your, your, your pricing on the retail contract stays as, as expected. So we're going to drop the cost on that balance of the customer's load. Let's call it half of their demand. And we're going to share in some of that drop in cost with the customer. Right. And then the, the, from a downside or default scenario, does the asset, the distributed asset then give you some ability to generate uh, revenue in a situation where the deal goes sideways? Depends on the piece of equipment we're talking about. Again, I'm looking at, at everything here from a credit perspective, like a commercial lender. So what's my collateral? Uh, you know, in the solar instance, my collateral is what can I earn from the DG tariff in that territory and the other incentives like RECs or SRECs um, you know, without my PPA at that higher rate. Now I'm getting a much lower rate for that energy and do I have the right to continue to generate and, and make these SRECs over time? So that's my collateral value there. Um, and you have to underwrite to that collateral value. When you're, when you're thinking about it from the commercial lending standpoint. The, 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 the RECIP engines, the gas-fired engines, they're generally sitting on a, they're skid-mounted, they're like, or containerized. I can roughly just pick them up and move them elsewhere. So the, the equipment collateral value there is, is stronger and not as dependent upon a, an additional revenue stream after the, the customer goes bust on me to, you know, to have some recovery value in, in that scenario. But more importantly, there's gonna be a lot of like, outcomes that are between customer healthy and customer gone, right? That typically you need to be able to manage and <clears throat> commercial lenders have penalty interest rates, right? They can, they can raise interest rates and increase their returns during the tenor of a loan when a customer footfalls or, you know, busts a, a financial covenant or something like that. I intend to do the same with my PPAs. Right. So I'll have penalty rates essentially or price levers that will move based on reasonable financial metrics in our PPAs that'll allow me to manage my credit risk over time. So it's not just a static view and then I hope to God they send me good financials every year. There's a whole rich you know, uh, world of digital data streams about this, uh, uh, this commercial end user that I can access and, and, and use to monitor their, their credit health all throughout the 10 or the 10 or 20 year PPA and use that to drive pricing and change my returns if necessary. Yeah. So let's, I mean, you know, let's talk about, I get the point about having gas recip engines. And I think, I think most people listening do, though some probably grown a little bit about the, you know, the emissions aspect. We all know uh, that we'd love a future where there aren't gas generators uh, in a dis distributed setting or any setting. Um, but, you know, the reality still we're, we're at that point today. What is it going to take for batteries to take that role in, in your business plan? Like, is there a, is there a key uh, battery price or is it a, there's a market driver that needs to be adjusted, maybe faster response or um, you know, faster markets? What is, what is going to be the key to, to really kick batteries off? It's a, a combination of, of, of elements, I'm, as I'm sure you've heard from anyone else you've asked that question to, right? The cost is, is, is a big issue, right? There's just kicking around it. You know, they, they, if they're cheaper, they're gonna be easier to pencil. Um, <clears throat> as a retail energy provider, we will be exposed to frequency regulation costs, which is a service that a battery can offer. And, you know, recent FERC orders permitting 
batteries or, or requiring ISOs to permit batteries to participate in their wholesale ancillary services markets are going to help. And we will be exposed to those costs. And it will be a line item in my retail contracts that I can now use this battery, assuming that I you know, can make them work, to hedge. The issue is that I don't have a long-term retail contract with a customer. They don't usually go beyond three years. Uh, and that's because of capacity markets um, in the Northeast. So for the same reason why I'm going to concentrate on the Northeast, which is the fact that I'm going to change my customer's exposure to the capacity markets, it also is a hindrance for me on doing longer term retail contracts, which would give me a hedge for one of the revenue streams from, from the battery. Um, right. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. So speaking of uh, markets, where are you going to be active uh, and what kind of relationship do you think you'll have with the solar community at large in terms of, you know, maybe looking at deals or is it this, is this basically a, uh, you know, focusing on the retail energy incentive contracts first model? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on all of the above, right? We, we need to be able to, um, you know, look at distributed projects that developers have put together as an opportunity to um, acquire and then sell the, the associated retail energy. And we need to look at our customer acquisition efforts on the retail energy side, um, you know, as a valuable greenfield development uh, channel. So we got to do both. Um, I would love to work with the developer community um, so long as that, you know, they, they recognize that, you know, when they bring me a project, I'm going to want some load to serve. The project can't be 98% of the customer's needs. Um, and frankly, most customers, you know, that's a resistant point, right? That's a, that's a hesitance. They're putting all their supply eggs in one basket. They don't have any diversification there. Uh, a PPA could be underwater in a couple of years, as has happened in a lot of markets that have been flattened, right, by cheap fuel and cheap power prices of late. You know, call it the last seven or eight years. That's happened in a bunch of places. So I think that as long as the developer world can get behind the fact that this customer is going to be interested in, and I need some, you know, some, some load to serve and some, some supply diversity, then I think we're going to be able to work really well together. Uh, and I think that's going to be an important channel for me. And by the way, so will the traditional retail energy advisor or broker community, right? Which have traditionally shied away from complex products like this, because it's too hard for them to get paid. I want to make everybody a partner. Um, you know, I'll give a broker an opportunity to, uh, have a 20-year revenue stream if they can bring us a customer that 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 we can shepherd through the underwriting process. Uh, I I think that that should be attractive to enough of the brokers out there that I'll, I'll probably have a handful of partners they want. Yeah, I mean this is you know the C and I it's a market that I've I've focused a lot of time on and uh, it's complex and I think we all have stories about the megawatt solar project in New Jersey that went sideways because of the uh, the credit underwriting just couldn't get done. And um, this offers the market, you know, some other viable uh, option potentially uh, from an underwriting perspective. So it's not uh, going to work for everybody, right? Like, I mean, I, I would love to, to deploy solar all over the place. I, 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 that, that's my number one goal is that positive environmental impact, but the Northeastern markets still have diesel as peakers, right? Like that's crazy. I mean, the New York ISO has a ton of diesel peakers. So does New England, you know, there's still coal out there. Like we're, 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 we're gonna put gas fired recips in places that we can't do solar uh, or the customer desperately needs and wants and values a backup generation resource. So we can offer that from the same piece of equipment that we use as this, 
day-to-day peaker asset. Um, and we're still gonna be able to provide a positive environmental impact from an emission standpoint relative to the grid mix in the Northeastern territories, because that's where we're focused. We're focused where customers have, you know, from their visibility, from their seat, high demand charges on the distribution and transmission side that we can offset, but also the part that they don't see, which is embedded in their supply rate, there's high capacity and transmission costs from the wholesale market that the retail supplier has to contend with. So those are fixed costs or demand-based charges on the retail supplier side, and those are biggest in Eastern PJM, parts of New York, and a lot of New England. Yeah, and so last thing I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk about because it's it's been interesting to me and I think the solar market is, uh, you mentioned it a little bit, these corporate, these virtual PPAs or corporate offtakes, um, but you added a, an additional sort of layer to it. You said three to four years. You know, typically you see these Amazon deals, the uh, Georgetown deals, these are these 20 year uh, offtake agreements with a large solar farm somewhere in, you know, PJM territory, call it. You added the complexity of a shorter term. Uh, is that feasible? Is it doable? Like if I'm a solar developer in, in Pennsylvania now, what can I, what are my options with that, with that energy uh, output? It, it's not going to deliver on additionality. You know what I mean? Uh, these will likely be with existing resources that um, are merchant on their energy um, because they underwrote their projects to an SREC contract or uh, you know, uh, an upfront rebate or some other solar incentive or hydro incentive. Um, you know, hydro is actually gonna be a big opportunity here too um, from a corporate PPA standpoint. So you know, really, really stringent sustainability policies will, will likely take issue with, with the lack of additionality. But I think you know, getting an, an outlet to sell energy in a fixed price at a premium uh, for existing resources enables them to stay viable for longer and provides value profitable and, and provides value to, to that asset owner to go take that value and put it into yet another new resource somewhere else. So we, we in a backwards way or, or you know, sort of cause and effect, we'll, we'll, we'll probably promote additionality by doing that. But more importantly, this is something that customers highly value and they want to be able to say, that hydro resource or that solar array is providing power to my business here. And they want to tell their customers that, and they want to feel good about that at the end of the day themselves. Um, and you can only offer that without a derivative product that requires Dodd-Frank reporting through a physically settled contract. Um, and that can only be delivered to a customer on site um, unless they become an ISO member through a retail energy provider. And more often than not, the retail energy provider community doesn't understand that, doesn't want to deal with it. The developer doesn't get it. There's, a bro there's eight brokers in the, in the middle that, that sort of extract all the value from it. Uh, we're, we're just going to do it directly with the assets that we, that we know and, and like out there that we contract with on the, the wholesale physical supply side. I like it. I thought we'd get through the entire conversation without talking about accounting rules and Dodd-Frank, but um, you had to drop it in there at the last minute. That's um, why you left. Got it. Okay. I did. Uh, for those that didn't see it, and and just to clarify, you know, for folks that aren't you know, aware of additionality, it's really this concept that corporates, in order for them to take credit for certain assets being built, you know, they want to be able to say it is only because we signed the offtake agreement that this this power plant got built. Um, Gabe's comment there is really really meant to say 
a lot of the projects in PJM have not just the, the energy component as revenue stream, but also SREC contracts and things like that. Gabe and I actually worked together on a plant that had no, it was merchant, merchant energy and a contracted SREC contract and uh, Gabe's firm worked to uh, monetize the electricity output at the time. Um, different, different days and, uh, uh, but this is uh, exciting. I, I think our worlds are, are getting closer and closer together here, Gabe. You're, you're almost, almost, I would say you're 80% you're of the way there to becoming a full-blown uh, solar executive. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I think a few years from now, the, the gas recips will be few and far between and, and batteries will, will become a really interesting aspect of it. Uh, 841, for quarter 841, which uh, you referenced around the batteries being able to participate in ISOs and, and, and trade um, once implemented should should help for sure. But it's, it's, a, it's a absolutely groundbreaking FERC order. When the ISOs finally com comply across the board, it's really going to change the, the feasibility for batteries, but you still have to be able to monetize or at least lock in that revenue stream because if it's fully merchant, like like you, you know, you know very well, like not every project is going to get underwritten with a whole host of merchant revenue streams. Yeah. And retailer, I've got a home for that. I've got a home for that revenue stream already. Yeah. And the site, which I think is, uh, yeah. is, is core to it. Always a pleasure, Gabe. Appreciate you coming on Solar Wake Up. And uh, for everyone that's listening, you know, please hit the subscribe button, rate, review, and uh, send it to a friend. Uh, wish you all the best on the new venture, Gabe, and uh, come back on when, when you've got some deals to talk about. Thank you, sir.